0: Welcome to Oncology and Technology, a podcast from CareVive where we're improving the lives of cancer patients through better outcomes.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Oncology and Technology brought to you by CareVive. I'm your host, James Kent. At CareVive, improving the lives of cancer patients through better outcomes is the foundation upon everything they do. And through ePros, or Electronic Patient Reported Outcomes, throughout care and across patient populations, CareVive knows they can improve the experience for both patient and care team. We're going to dive into this topic today with my two guests, John Elliott, the VP of Sales at CareVive, and Rame el Chief Product Officer at DTX. Welcome, John and Rami. How are you both doing today?
0: Doing well. Uh, Thanks, James. Looking forward to the conversation. Good. Thank you for having me, James.
1: Before we get started, Rami, why don't you tell us what DTX does and what you do as the Chief Product Officer? Sure.
2: So DTX is a web-based electronic patient-reported outcome tool that uses automated SMS surveys to connect with patients throughout their care episode and to streamline information exchange between patients and the care team. Uh, you know, text messaging is the primary form of communication these days, with around 90% of texts being read within the first three minutes. So, SMS mes- messaging is a largely untapped information gathering method uh, with tremendous potential in healthcare, we believe, which is why we chose to make it the, the center of our platform. DTX, just to Let you know how it works. So there's a uh, involves an administrative web portal in which, you know, staff and physicians add patients and schedule them for SMS surveys. Uh, Now these surveys are completely customizable and they can be tailored towards any clinical scenario. So for example, in the case of post-surgery outcome tracking, you can link these surveys to a care event, in this case surgery, and have the surveys be sent at custom time points before and after surgery. Um, and the surveys would get sent based on the patient's surgery date. Another example, you know, and for example, the pain management space or you know, other types of chronic disease management, you can send these surveys periodically uh, or based on a specific schedule in order to to monitor patient health and to help you complete your your benchmarks to obtain reimbursement. Two cool features you know, of the platform. So there's a uh, alert mechanism. So staff and physicians are immediately alerted of any patient issues via email and text. This allows them to detect early on any complications that are occurring uh, and therefore you know, increases the chances of reducing any avoidable readmissions. There's also real-time analytics built into the software. So there's multiple dashboards that allow for you know, easy data analysis and filtering, risk stratification. You know, users can can compare their, can benchmark the results to other users, other DTX users of the same specialty. So the the software is very versatile um, and very customizable, and it can be used in in many different ways. It's currently being used for remote patient monitoring, uh, post-surgery outcome tracking, chronic disease management, and also to streamline data collection and analysis for uh, prospective clinical studies. So that's a little bit about the software. Uh, About my role, so, I'm the chief product officer and, you know, on the product side, I oversee the development of the DTX software as a whole and, Mm -hmm. you know, lead discussions regarding which features and functionality should be implemented and how they should function within the software as a whole. Uh, The client facing aspect of my role involves discussing with potential clients, you know, the best way to implement DTX for their specific needs. And, you know, once a client decides to, to join DTX, then, you know, I lead the onboarding process. Um, and, and getting them involved in DTX and optimizing the workflow for their needs.
1: Well, thanks for that, Rohini. Uh, a lot of great information, and I think it's a it's a good start uh, to my first question to the both of you, which is, what is that evolution of ePros in their capabilities in the past versus the ePro of today, uh, and how is that importance of using them in value based care, how has that grown over time?
0: ePros, I'd say, historically have. Been predominantly used more in a research capacity, so capturing information from patients throughout a treatment or throughout a continuum of any event or diagnosis as a big value. It's been historically valued, you know, the patient patient information uh, and it was a means of collection, data collection, right? The more data, then the more analysis, the more insights, correlations, causations. You know, that was I'd say the the, the original uh, use case for ePros, uh, and it was fairly removed from any type of reimbursement. So. What's really evolved is, you know, when you have major payers and you have CMS and you start looking at value-based reimbursement models, uh, in our case for, you know, oncology and our real patient population, when they're looking about, you know, as they look at the future models or the evolution of value-based models in the oncology space. I mean, when they did the, uh, they did an RFI back in November, I believe it was 2019. And it was, you know, uh, across all uh, parties, I'd really say in the ecosystem, there is strong advocacy for uh, EPROS, uh, the mm-hmm. value of being able to have this engagement and capture information throughout treatment. And in oncology, it's particularly uh, important just because the acuity uh, can be so high and the range uh, between consults or between infusions that this continuous engagement and the feedback has is, is really been, I'd say... It's not disputed across any of the parties. You know the value of having this continuous engagement uh, through ePros. So we start to see it in what's going to be the next phase uh, value-based reimbursement in oncology. The details have not been specified yet. We look forward to that being released uh, here in early 2022. It was originally going to be 2021 and it pushed. Uh, but we do know uh, there's no question ePros will be a strong variable in the structure of that plan. So that's how it's really evolved i believe from more of a research capacity to actually having you know cms the primary payer across you know our country being fully endorsing epros uh, to ultimately improve outcomes and reduce costs
2: as john said the main difference between epros in the past and today is you know in the past they were mainly focused on research purposes and because of that you know they were centered around data collection and that was really the main feature of the the epros that were developed nowadays with the you know, the, the uh, increase in value based care and, you know, with reimbursement being tied more and more to quality of care versus quantity of care and, and the emphasis on patient outcomes and cost reduction methods, you know, the EPRO systems are, they need to have extended capabilities, right? So, you know, EPRO systems nowadays include, you know, patient alerts, more analytics, you know, integration of artificial intelligence, you know, more streamlined and, and efficient software systems all to, you know, in an effort to reliably and efficiently, you know, track and report patient outcomes in order to align with today's healthcare, you know, ecosystem of, of value-based care.
0: The opportunity to chime back in and just kind of play off of that as well. I, I didn't really emphasize on much, but what's huge is uh, the evolution is it was a means of data collection. Uh, we have both, ca- both communicated that, but it's the integration capabilities now, right? So taking it from a research population, a fairly segmented, siloed, single population with the use case of data collection to a standard of care for a a much broader patient population that with actionable um, capabilities for the care team, right? And that's how you get to the improved outcomes. So that's, I'd say the big evolution is the integration with the care team and ability to have action is a big evolution of EPROs in the last, that's fairly recent.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about that—that the value uh, ePros create. We know it's very focused on the patient, but it's also for the patient's care team. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to maybe speak specifically about that relationship and how ePros work to create value uh, for the care teams.
0: Yeah, specific use cases would really be the the value of the longitudinal record. So, you know, today or historically, it's been. You know, you have the documentation, uh, typical documentation information related to order, procedures. Now, now you're able to pull in, again, with all these data points integrated into that record, you're able to have the context and be able to see trends, how, how the patient's feeling, how these symptoms are evolving. Uh, in parallel with, you know, how, la- how the lab's looking, what's the correlations here? Um, you're able to capture much more insight into the patient experience when you have a more robust comprehensive longitudinal record so that's really a a strong value proposition for the care team and then the collaboration across the care team so being within the record you're able to see you know the whole care team has transparency so it's not just the medical oncologist capturing this information at a consult and documenting it within say more of an open text format kind of historically how they would capture symptoms and again that's very uh that's you know every two weeks or so that's weekly. It's only it's very dependent on that in-person consult versus seamlessly throughout the whole throughout the whole treatment throughout the whole regimen. Everybody on the care team is able to see these trends and evolution of the patient's symptoms uh, and collaborate you know offline independently. So then you have a much more effective in-person consult. It's not a means of data collection in the consult. It's a means of reflecting and sharing insights and um, you know actionable items
2: during that visit. Yeah, so so tying into what, what John said, you know, the, the EPROs, what they allow is, is, you know, data collection in the absence of an office visit, right? So as John said, you know, you're collecting that data before the patient gets to the office or even in place of the patient getting to the office, which allows you, you know, for the for the case where the patient never comes to the office, it still allows you to track the patient's health, right? It still allows you to monitor that, that patient's outcomes. Um, and then when they come to the office, if they come to the office, you know, you have that information handy and ready, and then you can use it to make a, a more informed decision related to their care. And I think another value to the care team of EPROs is, you know, we talked about large scale data collection and, and the longitudinal record and what that can do. But also, I think, you know, timely data collection, being able to collect large amounts of data in a timely fashion, because that, you know, that can lead to. As I touched upon earlier, you know, early detection of any patient issues and complications, right, It allows you to intervene faster if there's a if there's a problem, um, which ultimately leads to better care, better patient health, and you know down the line, you know, reduced direct and indirect cost, right? Whether that's you know less readmissions to the hospital or you know patient returning to work sooner because they're in better health because you monitored them quicker, you found out. About an issue quicker. I think it, the two big ones is it's large scale data collection over time, so that longitudinal record, and then you know timely data collection, right? So being able to act on that data uh, faster than you than you normally would be able to.
1: Of course, all of this only works if uh, patients are utilizing the ePros and keeping up with the providing of data into the system. Is that something that patients find easy to do, or are there challenges for patients there?
0: You know, adoption is certainly key, right? With any technology and just the quick evolution and churn of technology in healthcare, that's one of the first questions that always comes up, right? Care teams are not going to be endorse and, and really see the value if they're skeptical of the patient adopting it, right? Uh, all the value we speak to is certainly dependent on the patient's participation and adoption. So there are certain things when it comes down to the actual implementation science, there are things that you have to, when it comes down is easy as just traditional change management, right? What are the expectations you're setting? What are the tools you're providing to help uh, all users adapt this change? So it it comes down to simplicity, trying to make this as intuitive, understanding and communicating the value, uh, write a diagnosis in the case of oncology, write a diagnosis, this is a tool. This is our means of remaining connected throughout treatment. There is someone on the other end of the line. You are being heard this makes a difference. This is more effective than a triage, a phone triage line, the more traditional or historic means of sharing, you know, severe symptoms. So it's, it's communicating all of that. Um, I you know at CareVive, we've really tried to focus on multiple ways, uh, multiple kind of pronged approach on how do we, how do we help drive adoption for the patient. Uh, we have Clara our, you know, they are kind of our mascot. She's a, a resource to educate on the value and kind of that automated enrollment. So it makes this as easy as possible right out of the gate for patients to enroll in the application and start. That's kind of the first barrier, right? If you, once a patient starts, they start sharing these symptoms. They understand that, you know, when they do report severe that someone's engaging them and that it's going to be a topic of conversation at the next console, then, you know, then the value is proven right there. Right, so it's all about that initial, uh, the initial enrollment. So we've tried a lot of different, we have a lot of different tools to help drive that initial enrollment, and to the implementation component, it's again educating the care team when it's first brought up, and then providing these tools like Clara to uh, to be right at the patient's elbow for support right when it's uh, right when it's first promoted or say endorsed by the provider and the care team.
2: John, I think I think you touched on the, the major points there. That I think the two critical factors for adoption on, on the patients from the patient standpoint is, you know, their ease of use and, uh, you know, the, the amount of automation in the system, right? So to what degree are you minimizing the amount of manual tasks that need to be done and, and the burden on the patient? You know, at, at DTX, we develop the system with, you know, ease of use at the forefront, trying to make it as simple as possible for the patient to use. Um, you know, the the way that the patients answer the surveys that are sent to them, so there's no you know, app for them to download or patient login needed, they simply receive a text message with a HIPAA compliant SMS link. They click on the link, it opens a secure web browser in their phone, and then they're able to answer the questions one at a time. It, it comes as a slideshow. At the end, they submit their answers and all of that data backfills into a secure web portal for viewing and analysis. So it reduces what the patient needs to do, the steps that they need to take in order to provide that data that you want to eventually take action on and, and use for insights. And I think you know, also from the care team perspective, you know, of course, ease of use is is critical in terms of the the software and how intuitive it is to use. Um, and I think you know, scalability is another big factor, right? How scalable is the software, and and you know, how applicable is it to different scenarios that you're gonna you're gonna come across when you're dealing with patients answering these surveys?
0: I think the scalability component is is, is huge because that's really where the insights uh, start to come. So when you grow the value, you know, there's certainly the immediate near term, like we've already spoken to, you know, avoiding those high acuity events and engaging you with know, actionable items. But when you start taking this data to scale, and you can proactively identify trends across a, a specific patient population, a specific diagnosis, and then you can kind of practice transformation, hey, we're going to proactively, now the care team can proactively start communicating these, uh, these trends they're seeing. And High call out risks or incorporate that into their education content for the patient to again set that expectation. So those are the you know the value and adoption for the care team is as it comes to scale, the value increases for the care team, right Beyond just right. intercepting uh, you know, a high acuity event.
1: So do you feel comfortable saying that you feel we're at a point where we're able to collect that data at scale or are there still any existing challenges out there?
0: So I think from an industry perspective, uh, we're fortunate in that, you know, the consumer saying that being the, the patient, uh, that that folks on COVID has certainly expedited this. You know, the expectation yeah. of the patient has changed and how how they engage the care team would say it's become more of an expectation that you can have this texting communication or a patient portal, right? The, the whole consumerism idea has been expedited uh, and that's becoming more of the expectation. So that certainly goes to the benefit of E-PROs, right? So that, that's a mechanism uh, that falls aligned with the whole consumerism idea. The, the other component, I would say, is that security, right? So historically, you think of historical barriers. I don't want to share my community. I don't want to talk on my phone with, right. I'm not going to text my care team. I, I, don't, feel secu- right. I don't feel secure, right? So now that, that we've made huge advancements, I say we, just the, the industry, has made huge advancements in ensuring the security of this information and communicating this way, right? It doesn't need to be a, doesn't have to be, people don't have to feel secure just in a closed door physician consult to share this meaningful information. It's, I feel secure sharing it on my phone, right? That I think that's been huge in just the overall market adoption of this type of technology. And there's many other use cases beyond e-pros in healthcare, uh, obviously telemedicine, other means of telemedicine, virtual visits and such that that, that all are benefiting from this, or to say all really driving as, as a uh, cumulatively, they're all driving this whole consumerism uh, in healthcare.
1: Are there specific parts of a cancer patient's journey that are critical to track and gain insight on? Uh, for instance, post-surgery or any complications that a patient experiences during their treatment. Uh, I guess what I'm asking is, what what are those key data points that you're most looking to capture uh, from ePros?
2: My my background is more with spine surgery care, so you know, in terms of the the spine world. Important metrics to collect with ePros, you know, include complications immediately post-surgery, right? So you have, you know, the global s- surgical post-op period, zero to 90 days. So three months out, you know, complications that have occurred, especially within the first week. But, you know, within that three months, um, is critical to, to collect, right? That's the That goes back to my earlier you know, discussion regarding early intervention for these complications. You know, you want to be able to pick them up as early as possible. Um, and try to avoid, you know, possible readmissions and any reoperations because that is a, you know, a, a huge cost on the healthcare system. And of course, it's, you know, it affects the patient's more morbidity in a, in a negative way. Mm. Um, so I would say that, you know, capturing those complications. And then the second part of it would be just general outcome tracking for patients that receive spine surgery, you know, over time, over one, two years. In the spine world, there's a lot of research being done in terms of, you know, trying to standardize treatment algorithms and, and care pathways. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can treat a spine surgical patient currently, a lot of variability and a lot of debate as to what is the most effective treatment. It's gaining in importance the need to, you know, streamline that treatment for spine patients, standardize treatment for spine patients, you know, reduce that variability, reduce that error. And in order to do so, you know, you need large amounts of data, right? You need large amounts of accurate, reliable data. Um, and so I think from a spine surgery perspective, EPROs come into play that way in terms of collect you know, collecting complications, acting early on them, and then for the just the general outcomes, being able to track them in a reliable and and effective way, and then being able to look at them afterwards and and you know
0: act on them.
1: And John, how about on the oncology side?
0: Yes, in the oncology space, it's all about frailty, it's all about quality of life, morbidity certainly is part of it. If in oncology, it's a a, a not to take away from surgery or other use cases for EPROs, but it's very it becomes very personalized with the regimen uh, and the treatment that's occurring. So it's all, it's all about symptoms primarily, right? We really focus on capturing those symptoms proactively and those have a, such a downstream effect. Um, you know, the actual science, I'd love to have kind of more of my, our research expert and some of my colleagues that probably actually speak to this better than I, but at a very high level, it's so much can be done by capturing those in real time that ultimately lead to better quality of life, reduction in morbidity, improved overall outcomes, decreased frailty. And there's also a lot of within the oncology space. There are a lot of focus that's say, driven by commission on cancer and other very specific say, accreditations where they have a manual process on how they're collecting this information, this means of connectivity. We're focused on symptoms, but it's also a way of capturing this other information that are, say, requirements for accreditations today. So this continuous engagement and connectivity changes how they're capturing. You know, again, it adds efficiencies to the consult. So this could have tied this into a previous question, right? So what's the impact on the care team? Instead of asking some of these uh, required required questions and a consult, they're able to ask them through you know the EPROs engagement. They're able to incorporate these questions in their tool versus in person. And that it goes beyond just symptoms, right?
2: I think no, that's that's a great point. Uh, one of the big benefits with patients using EPRO solutions is, you know, they as you said, they're more actively engaged in their care by doing so. And it's been, you know, proven uh, time and time again in the research that, you know, patients who are more active in their care and, and take, you know, a, a bigger step in their care responsibility feel more empowered. And those patients actually end up most of the time having better outcomes and better health um, through that engagement and through that empowerment. So that's, that's, a, that's a great point, John, that you brought up. I think active patient engagement is a, is a big, big benefit of patients using the ePRO systems.
1: Well, John and Rami, we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, but before we end our time, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to leave a listener with on the topic of ePROs across the patient experience?
2: Yeah I would I would say you know the EPROs are are important today and they're going to become even more important given the the healthcare ecosystem and the push towards value based care um that's continuing to happen and that will happen and so it's 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 something that you know is important will continue to be important and collecting data through EPROs works it's something that works you know with with DTX the the clients that have used DTX you know so far They've seen a hundred percent increase in their data cap- capture rate and you know a two-third reduction in the time spent collecting and analyzing the data. So, you know, from from an operational perspective, it's it's you know, it, it streamlines your data collection and your analysis. Um, from a patient care perspective, it allows you to remotely monitor your patients and it it increases, you know, the quality of care you provide for your patients. And so it's it's you know, and from a research perspective, it, it streams like data collection and analysis. So I think it's something that's been proven to work. It's something that's becoming more important. Um, and so it's, it's you know, inevitable that at, at some point you're, you're going to need to integrate or, or use an, an ePro solution.
0: Yeah. I mean, Robin did a wonderful job outlining just kind of, I mean, these are all, uh, as you see here, I mean, we have two different use cases or populations we're referring to. And there's so much synergy around the value of ePros. We could go, I I could go much deeper into oncology and we could go much deeper into surgical populations, but but, you know, what's one last thing. And it's, it's going to be, I I think we're, we're hit, we've hit a tipping point. Um, And when you start to see reimbursement models incorporated, Mm -hmm. when you start to see it becoming a topic of conversation at the predominant um, market voices. So when you talk about it, HIMSS, or you talk about ASCO, or you talk about uh, the big market leaders, influencers, audiences, when you start seeing a real focus on this technology, then I think it's, hey, this is, this is the new norm. And for those that are on the front edge, they start to become more acquainted and understanding, you know, when you start having these tools and they're starting to get these insights, they will reap the benefit earlier. So whether that's from a patient perspective or that's from a care team perspective, those that I, I believe that those that are jumping on board and adopting this sooner than later will reap the benefit sooner than later. I feel confident in saying that. So, it's a there's always going to be barriers. I'll be the first to say that as well, right? You kind of have the the early adopters, the naysayers, and then the the followers. The the naysayers meaning kind of falling in the middle, like they're going to have questions. They're not the first, but they're not the last. And then you have the followers being the last. So. There, there's like any product or any type of innovation, you're going to have that those segments. And I think that setting appropriate expectations, there are barriers, but you have innovative companies that are out there uh, in this space that are really, I think, doing a great job of addressing those barriers, and all have the same goal of improved patient outcomes. There's a value proposition for everyone in this in the healthcare ecosystem with ePros. So that's my message: is that hey, when electronic medical records came out. There were a lot of uh, a lot of pushback, right? A lot of people that didn't, and I think we've all seen the whole, you know, the next phase of electronic medical records was, you know, the digitization of healthcare. Well, we wouldn't be there if it weren't with that step. So it's almost too like we don't know what we don't know where this can go, and I, I believe that EPros are really kind of that next step with capturing the patient information, building a longitudinal record, capturing, you know, digitization of healthcare, so much more that can be done, and, that, and that's where you start to hear all of the. The AI and the what can be done with the data at scale. Uh, I don't. I believe we don't know what we don't know yet, and this is another mechanism that's going to take us closer. a Tool that will take us all closer, and we'll all reap the benefits.
1: Excellent stuff, John Elliott, the VP of Sales at Carevive, and Rami Elsabe, Chief Product Officer at DTX. I want to thank you both for your time and insights today. If folks want to get in touch with Carevive and DTX. Where's the best place for them to go?
0: Yeah, for CareVive, i love to you. You can, uh, you can always come to our website, carevive.com. Uh, we have a fairly strong social media presence on LinkedIn. We're always trying to keep our uh, the market up to date on our latest findings and client success. You can always find us there. You can always reach out to John L.A. directly through our website. Love to hear from you.
2: And for DTX, yeah, please feel free to, to go to dtxmed.com. That's our website. Um, it'll, it'll give you a nice overview on our product and, you know, for anything else, please reach out to, to me at Rami at DTXmed.com, um, and I'll I'll be happy to answer any questions and, and send you some more material.
1: John and Rami, thanks again.
2: Thank you, James. Thank you, James.
1: And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Oncology and Technology, brought to you by CareVive. If you're looking for more episodes, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and stay tuned for more great content coming your way. But until next time, this is James Kent saying let's talk again soon.